0: Wouldn't it be neat to hear another law show from the same type of attorneys talking in the same monotone voice saying the same old things over and over again? Ah, no. This is Legacy Lawyers. On Legacy Lawyers, you get two big things. Number one, we talk about the juicy details of cases that our law firm has dealt with. Of course, changing the names and details to protect client-attorney privilege. And we dive into what options the clients had to choose from to fix their situation. Number two. Number two. You get educated about how the effects of not doing planning can be devastating. Let's get into it. This is Legacy Lawyers, and here are your hosts, Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford.
1: Hey, Nathan. What's up, Michael? Not much. I'm doing really good. It's uh, wrestling season. Did you know that?
2: <laughs> no. No. <laughs> No, I did not. Um, it's basketball season for everybody else.
1: <laughs> yeah, some people in the winter follow basketball. But, yeah, and
2: how do you even follow wrestling?
1: Well, before the internet, it was not really very easy. It was very difficult, actually. So, I did it by n-
2: reading newspapers or.
1: Yeah, they had had newspapers sometimes. Um, That was pretty much it. Like, you really didn't follow it very well. So
2: Meaning you couldn't watch it.
1: Yeah, you couldn't watch the matches unless you went live. I mean, there were some on TV, like the Olympics, but that was about it.
2: Not being able to watch it would be just fine by me.
1: But now you can stream it. They do all sorts of streaming where you can watch it, and then it's on TV more than it used to be, so – yeah, college wrestling. It they have all their conference tournaments coming up, and then the NCAA championships coming up. So, for I a, don't I know see our listeners are wrestling fans, so they are, they're probably all getting excited for it.
2: Yeah, I don't see very many wrestling highlights like on Sports Center or other. I just don't. So I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm glad that it makes you happy, but it does nothing for me.
1: Yeah, you should you should get into it more, Nathan. You should.
2: No, thank you. Start I'm watching. good. <laughs> I
1: think you would love it. No, it's definitely one of those sports like, you know, I obviously I did wrestling growing up, and so, like when I watch it, you know, I'm all into it. But anyone yeah. else watches it, they're like, I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea why, how that guy scored, and so.
2: And why people are excited and cheering? Biggest thing for me is I remember walking past the wrestling area of the high school, and two things: the smell and the outfits. And that's all it took. I was out.
1: <laughs> the singlets are the best uniform in sports. Oh I, don't, I don't get your problem with the singlet. <laughs> oh my. But I will give you that some wrestling rooms really have a smell problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you that. So I took my wife to the NCAA championships. Like, I don't know. It must've been five, six years ago in St. Louis and it was packed, right? Packed house. Everyone is for the final is the finals. So, you know, it was the winner takes all, right? So it was the last matches of the tournament and like, so, you know, everyone, everyone, there are wrestling fans, obviously, and most in like 99% of the audience wrestled. Right. And so she, but she's just like, has, she's like, I didn't get why everyone was going nuts at the end of that one match. Cause there's this one match that was awesome. It ended all. And then the guy after he wins, he does like a backflip, and then in the while he's doing his backflip in midair, the guy that he beat like pushes him.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! And
1: like because it was like a big upset, and the guy was all mad about it, and so he didn't like that he was
2: just, celebrating in his face.
1: Yeah, but that's what you do when you win a college national championship. You celebrate, you, and and so he was he was mad about it. So um, yeah, I would have been there like,
2: with Sarah going. Yeah, I, no I don't idea get it either.
1: Cheer, cheer, or why anyone was cheering. hmm But how'd it smell? Oh, it it was perfect. Just just like any other sports <laughs> venue, hot dogs and whatever oh, else okay. they smell like. So it
2: didn't smell like a wrestling room.
1: No, no. Okay, luckily. So
2: why any, don't you read us the disclaimer? Because man, we got a barn burn episode. To, and it's actually going to be another two-parter. Is that two in a row that we're doing in two parts?
1: Yeah, we got to break this one up too because we yeah, too much. don't know how it ends actually yet.
2: Yeah, we the don't verdict's know. still
1: out. Okay, so this podcast is for educational purposes only. Although Nathan and I are attorneys, we are not providing legal advice for your specific situation and you should seek independent legal counsel for your specific so with that being said, Nathan, I believe you know all the facts on this cuz this is a this is something one of your clients is dealing with right now.
2: Yeah, so I actually I'm going to start out by asking you a question. How much do you think three little words could cost someone?
1: How much do I think three words could cost someone? I mean, you wouldn't think too much, but I guess in some situations, it could be expensive.
2: Yeah. So do you want to take any guesses as to what the three little words are? So in this case, it's a pretty substantial sum of, of money that is potentially at issue here. Um, I guess we'll just start out and say how much it is.
1: Sure. How much?
2: $50,000. Okay. So, okay. The omission of three words is going to potentially cost a family fifty thousand dollars. You want to take a guess as to what those words are?
1: Well, I th- just three. I only get three words.
2: Mm-hmm. And and you get. A, I'll give you. I'll give you three chances.
1: Okay, so I think the first that definitely could cost fifty thousand is "I love you."
2: <laughs> actually wow wow I that those three <laughs> words have cost people way more than $50,000 both right? when it's gone well and when it hasn't gone well
1: with both parts right yeah yeah exactly um, I don't know maybe like no thank you right if, so, if someone's offering you 50 grand and you say no thank you maybe that three words cost you 50 grand
2: we're actually, um, yeah, it's actually interesting when you say that. I'll come back to that one.
1: But I would kind of be like, but most people wouldn't say no, thank you. They were
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, maybe, oh, I know one because, you know, we just had a baby. Like I am pregnant. That co- that can cost.
2: 50 now, obviously grand.
1: I can't be pregnant, but, it, you know, are those who can, you know, I'm so pregnant. that's 50. Did, that's, 50. Did, that's easy. fifty.
2: Did this baby cost you 50 grand?
1: I'm um, not yet. We're hoping not until year three, but we'll see.
2: <laughs> but but sometimes that, like if they're preemies or like oh, yeah. you could have a million dollar baby before you even leave the hospital.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think I, I don't know if I've reviewed all the details on that because you got to look at what the insurance paid and what you paid. But I think I think if everything not goes quite well, it's to... often seven grand to have a baby, just the medical.
2: Okay. Well, so you didn't get the three words Um, and I'm not going to reveal what those three words are for a minute. So let's, Uh, unless you just can't wait.
1: No, I can wait.
2: Okay. All right. So this is an actual case that we are currently handling at our law firm. Um, And I, because of, because I knew how valuable, um, this discussion would be for everybody listening. I went out of my way to ask for explicit permission from the family to tell the story and to use um, real name. No, I'm kidding. Not use real names. Um, <laughs> but to use the actual facts. And so that $50,000 number is, a, is an actual number that could potentially be going out the door at the end of this thing. So um, here's, here's how it sets up. Um, I I get a phone call um, from a daughter, daughter of, of who turns out to be my client. So my client is mom Um, daughter calls me and says, Hey, we have just moved mom into an assisted living and uh, we'd like to look into putting some of our assets into an asset protection trust because um, we're hoping that she can qualify for a uh, veteran's benefit. And so, you know, I said, yeah, absolutely. We do that. We can help with that. And we, we got started immediately. We actually got started pretty quickly because, and moved pretty quickly because we, um, they were already in the process of putting the home that mom had lived in on the market and getting ready to sell it. And so in order for us to preserve her eligibility for this benefit, we needed to get, we need to move it into the trust, deed the property into the trust before the sale occurred so that when the sale occurred, the trust would receive the proceeds from the sale. so we set up her trust and all the ancillary documents we um got ready to have our signing meeting and uh, and we were we were like way ahead of schedule we were going to close or we were going to finish her planning uh, a full week ahead of the closing on this house and everything was just going to be you. You know, perfect right yeah like it was I was just thinking man this couldn't have gone any better and the fact that they called me when they did made it so that we didn't even have to move the the closing out to make this happen for him and it was just like one of those things where you go wow it's just falling into place so <clears throat> you actually um you actually know the words that are missing because you were in my office yeah. yeah yeah but You were in my office the day that um, I was, we were talking about something and I had, and I was getting ready for the um, signing meeting. And the last thing I needed to do was check the deed to the home, make sure that um, the new one that we had prepared was ready to go so it could be recorded. And as you're talking, I'm looking at the deed, the existing deed to this house, the deed that had been in place since. I think back clear back in 2009 and um, I kept looking at the deed and trying to listen into you, listening to you, but I was distracted. And ultimately I said, look at that deed. Do you see anything potentially problematic about that deed? And I don't think he saw it right away, but I said, there's the name of mom and there's the name of, her deceased husband but there's no other language there to indicate how they own that property um and so the three words that are missing that could potentially cause this cost this family 50 grand are husband and wife
1: it was kind of close I yeah you. you were
2: you went <laughs> down the you went down the i love you and i'm pregnant but for this particular couple, I don't think that was going to be in the cards because no. mom's in her 70s. And so um, maybe you can tell us, Mike, why it matters in this case, um, why it matters if those words were on that deed or not.
1: Yeah, I mean, every state has some slightly different rules when it comes to deeds and ownership of real property. But the big thing that you're always usually looking at with a deed is especially when there's two people on the deed is how they own it, whether they own it in what we often refer to as tenants in common, or if they own it as joint tenants. So tenants in common means that each owner has their ownership separate of the other owner, which means when they die, it doesn't automatically become the property of the other person on the deed. So, if I own a deed as tenants in common with my brother and I die, he doesn't all of a sudden own my half. My half falls to my estate. Which is but probably how you'd want it
2: to work if you owned property with your brother, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, because i want to go to my wife or you know whoever my heirs are, but I own this property with my brother. So, we'd put it as tenants in common most likely. Yeah,
2: but, if, but what if, um, like in this case, um, mom and dad, dad's deceased, dad died back in 2013, um, what would be the ideal way, would, would I want to be a tenant in common with my spouse, especially if there'd been a death? Uh,
1: probably not. I mean,
2: I... Well, I'm going to say for sure not in this case. <laughs>
1: you most likely wanted to go to your spouse, right? Yeah. So in that situation, yeah.
2: So the the preferred way to own property in most situations where there's a marriage is called joint tenancy. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And the full term is joint tenancy with full rights of survivorship. And what that means is that both owners, in this case, husband and wife, or both spouses, own a, an undivided 100% interest in the property. And I know that makes it sound like, wait, they can't both own 100% or they own 200% of the property. No, it just means they both have full claim to 100% of the property. And the effect of that, the, the rights of survivorship part of that is that if, in this, if like in this case, if this home had been owned in, in joint tenancy, then when dad passed away in, in 2013, mom would have automatically by operation of law become the sole owner of the property.
1: Mm-hmm. So Nathan, but it says and, right? So it says both of it had the wife's name and then it said and and then the husband's name. Yep. So is not that good enough? I mean Well, you know, so you know, yeah, that's, that's a good and
2: That's a good question. Um no, because actually um you could use and or if you wanted to to create a a joint tenancy. Or I mean a uh, a tenancy in common. But the bigger the bigger answer to that question is that it it used to be that you had to say on the deed um mom and dad or spouses as As husband and wife, joint tenants with full rights of survivorship. That's like three lines of of text, and that that can be a little bit difficult to. Um, I mean, really, I don't think it is that difficult. But let's be honest: we're lawyers, and we we're into drafting language and being precise with language. But um, back in ninety seven, in the state of Utah, the legislature said, "Okay, we've seen enough problems with this that." We're gonna make we're gonna make a legal presumption that as long as the two owners are identified on the deed as husband and wife or spouses, then that's enough to create joint tenancy. So in this case, the and isn't enough.
1: It didn't no. matter. It didn't
2: and, and what's interesting is that when I and this is where it gets, this is where it just got gut wrenching is I wasn't ever really a good litigator because I tend to care too much about what's happening. And so I just, I mean, I was sick to my stomach when I realized what was going to happen here or what was potentially going to happen. And I had to pick up the phone. I had to call mom's daughter and I should point out that um, this was a second marriage. So mom's daughter was not the daughter of the deceased husband okay so this was a second husband um, so I had to call her and say um, so there's a problem with the deed and the first time I called she was I could tell she had some company at the house and she was trying to um, get them what they needed and they were trying to leave and so she's kind of half listening and and I I said it doesn't indicate on the deed that that they were husband and wife. And she's like, well, they were husband and wife. If you want, I can send you a copy of their marriage certificate. (laughs) And I just was like, Oh, and I said, you said that you knew the name of the title officer. Right. And she said, yeah. I said, can I get his name? And so I called him up. Incidentally, his name was Mike. Um, And I said, Hey Mike, um, he's the one handling the title aspect of the, this transaction. And he said,
1: the
2: yeah, the sale. And he, he said, uh, I said, Hey, Mike, I'm looking at this deed. I'm a little concerned. Do you see any issues with this that might lead you to believe that this is a tenancy in common deed where mom doesn't own a hundred percent interest in this property? And he said, Oh yeah, I actually told daughter that and told her that she needed to get a turn an attorney involved and." and get that cleared up. And I said, oh, well, so far, I, I think basically um, daughter doesn't understand that that's, she thinks I'm doing that, but that's not what I was hired to do. I was hired to set up an estate plan. And I said, so am I reading this right, that we're going to need to um, probate this before we can do anything else? And he said, yeah, that's, that's correct. And so... At that point in time, I had the information that I needed to call back and I I had to talk to daughter a second time. And I said, okay, is everybody gone? Because I need you to sit down and listen (laughs) to what I'm going to tell you. And I said, so the law requires that in order for your mom to be the sole owner of the home at the passing of your stepdad, it requires that they be identified on the, not just that they be married, but it, it requires that they be identified on the deed as husband and wife or as joint tenants or both, but the way they're identified on the deed, which was just their first and last names with the word and, as you pointed out, that doesn't cut it. And she's like, okay, well, so what does that mean? And I said, well, I don't, I know for sure that means that, we have a, that before we're going to be able to do anything with the title of this house, the deed of this house, we're going to have to file a probate. So before we can move it into the trust, before you can sell it, before any of those things happen, we have to file a probate. And that's a bummer kind of in itself, because I mean, that automatically set the closing date. I mean, the closing date was out the window. They were a week out and no so they could close, huh? no. And, and that, that, that was a week ago. And so here we are and, and everybody's still waiting and, and this is, and here's the thing. Daughter um, has had a lot of contact with these buyers and it's a young couple and they're super excited to be moving in and they want to move in and, and they've sold their house. And oh, so shit. they really don't have anywhere to go. So not only is it affecting my client and my client's daughter and, and the planning and the potential for the VA benefit and everything else, it's also affecting a buyer on the other side of this sale. So my next question though to her was one where I kind of was like, I had my hands, my my face in my hands when I asked her and I'm like, did, did your stepdad, does your stepdad have kids? <laughs> And she said, yeah, actually. Um, and she indicated that he had a, a, a son that was living out of state that um, over the course of his lifetime had had struggled a little bit and was probably in need of money. Um, and at that point in time, my heart just sunk into my stomach. And this is the part where... I take these things way too personally, because <laughs> this isn't me. Like, I, I, I know, hard but hard I can to. go home and it's, it's not going to affect me, right? But I, I guess I just, I, I feel for these families. And so um, I said, okay, um, well, let me tell you what the law is in the state of Utah when this scenario arises. And she said, okay. And at this point, you know, I can tell that she's starting to get that this is kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. So I've already told her closing's not going to happen on the date that you were expecting it. And she's like, wow. (laughs) And she's like, does Mike know this, the the title guy? And I said, yeah, he knows. Um, The realtor doesn't know yet, but the realtor's about to find out because Mike was going to hang up with me and call the realtor. Mm -hmm. She's like, does the does the, do the buyers know? And I said, no, but as soon as that realtor knows, they're they're going to be, they're going to be making a very unpleasant phone call to say, "Uh, guys, we're not closing when we thought we did. And their, their response was probably, okay, well, when are we closing? And the response was, I don't know, actually. (laughs) And that's the truth. Like to this day, we do not know.
1: We, that's the reality. You when with the yeah party, you don't know.
2: So here's here's kind of just a recap, and and I'm recapping because I'm I'm about to tell you how the the laws in the state of Utah work in this scenario. So we've got a a, a married couple that it's a second marriage. They both have children from prior relationships, but no children together. Um, sir, dad had passed away. Um, husband slash dad had passed away. Mom was still alive and thought that she owned the house free and clear and that she could move it into a trust and protect the assets and, and use those for her care. I mean, cause that's, that's the big thing here, right? Is right. that
1: care.
2: the value yeah. of this house is crucial because we're not talking about, at least not right now, we're not talking about trying to preserve an inheritance for, um, mom's daughter her only daughter. It'd be nice if that was, if that happened. But the big concern is we're trying to make sure that mom has enough money to get through the rest of her life in the, in the care facility without running out of money and becoming a burden.
1: No, it's, it's the main priority. It's a big deal.
2: Yeah. So, so inheritance is completely secondary in terms of the concerns here. So, we got dad, husband who passed away um, seven years, seven plus years ago. We got mom living, who's in a care facility, who needs the proceeds from the sale of the home to live on. Um, and we have a surviving child of deceased husband, and dad.
1: Okay.
2: Um, in the state of so so what happens is in a tenancy in common situation. Where there's been no where where there hasn't been proper planning done to avoid this, there's going to be a probate. The probate will not involve hundred percent of the ownership value of the home. Okay, so because they're tenants in common, we said earlier that as tenants in common, they each have a one half, fifty percent interest in the property. So let's say this house costs three hundred fifty thousand um, dollars we can take $175,000 and move it over to mom's column right away, undisputed. Nobody that can, serves. nobody can attack that. Okay. But over on the other side, we have a hundred, another $175,000 that is subject to probate. And, um, you know, barring any kind of planning, it's also subject to the laws of intestacy, which the laws of intestacy are, the word intestacy means
1: somebody laws that, without a will.
2: Yeah, somebody who dies without having executed testamentary documents. They're they're not testate, meaning they don't have testamentary documents or you know wills, trust that sort of thing. Um, they're intestate; they lack those things. So there's a whole set of laws on the books of every state, and they are all probably a little bit different, but for the most part. I mean, there's a lot of similarities. And in Utah, what happens is when you've got a, a tenancy in common interest, um mom is entitled to surviving spouse is entitled to the first 75000 dollars of whatever it is that's at issue in the probate. In this case, it's the 50% ownership so mom in gets a house.
1: 75K off the top.
2: Okay, right. So you're the math guy. 175, I can actually do that math. 175 175 plus 75 is 250 right Mm -hmm. so okay good we got 250 but the house is worth 350,000 100 grand still pretty important
1: yeah we still got 100 grand left over
2: so the law says after mom gets the first 75,000 the balance is divided in half and Mom gets one half of the remaining balance, so that's another fifty grand going to mom. So she's up to three hundred. Mm-hmm. But guess what happens to the other half of that balance after the seventy-five thousand has been subtracted out?
1: Well, I know, I know what happens. It, it unfortunately it goes to the deceased husband's
2: surviving child.
1: Ch- child yeah and it
2: would be children but in this case it's child
1: so the son out of state based on the statute he gets the extra 50k after you divide it in half
2: yeah like we looked at this every from what five or six different angles and tried to figure out any way that he owned that he's entitled to less than that and our conclusion at the end of that is no he is i mean Cut and dried. He's he's absolutely entitled to fifty thousand dollars from the sale of this house. So, so did you
1: t- tell the daughter that on the phone, or did you not know yet the? Uh, I didn't know it? that.
2: So I hadn't I hadn't run the math, and I honestly didn't want to have that conversation at the same time that I was having the discussion. I guess there's two ways you could approach this, right? Like hit him with all the bad news all at once. Or try to spread this out, and here's why I chose to spread it out. One, I wanted to be sure that I had the numbers yeah, correct. You
1: wanted to do, do like I don't apologies. want to just ballpark
2: and say mm. I think it's this, and then and have it be completely off. Secondly, when I got in touch with daughter the first time and and started working with her, she kept making jokes like, because um, she for the last five months it's just been a nightmare as far as trying to, trying to take care of her mom for the months that it took to get her into the um, assisted living. And then the first assisted living that she was in turned out to not be a good fit for them. And so they had to pick her up and move her again. Mm. Um, daughter at the same time is trying to clean out at the house that's up for sale. And so she keeps saying to me jokingly, but I, I know there's truth in Jess. She keeps saying I'm broken anyway. So
1: Pile it on, pile it on, right? So, (laughs) I know she's saying
2: that, but I, I couldn't bring myself to. So, I on a separate phone call, I had to pick up the phone and say, Okay, um, I did the math, I looked at this with my law partner, um, I talked to Mike, the title guy, about it, and the conclusion is that your stepbrother, your your stepdad's biological son who lives out of state, he's entitled to $50,000. And her response was, wow. And then there was silence (laughs) because she's sitting there doing the math of like what it costs to have her mom in this facility on a monthly basis.
1: It's like could be six to 10 months of care, right?
2: And it's a punch in the gut. I mean, it was like an absolute gut punch. And I felt like I was punched her in the gut. And I did not feel good because I am not the kind of person that likes to punch people, especially women in the guts.
1: <laughs> Anyone, right? Yeah, yeah
2: but, but but especially somebody like this that's already... Well,
1: Someone who's already gone through so much for, to help her mom. Yeah, yeah. And... And then, then to give, to give that bad news, that just sucks.
2: And then she's got to pick up the phone and call her mom and tell her what's happening. And her mom is in an assisted living and she's, you know, she's been through, I mean, she's been through it. She's been moved out of her home. She's been moved to a facility where it didn't work out. She's been moved again. And then to go to her and say, Oh, um, I know you didn't know this, but we just found out that, um, your stepson out of state is entitled to $50,000 in the proceeds of the home. And she's already worried about becoming a burden to her family. And so she, I can't imagine that that was a pleasant conversation, but speaking of pleasant or unpleasant conversations, when I told her that she's like, okay, well, What do we do from here? And I said, well, I've actually dealt with this once before. And in that case, um, turned out awesome. Um, That's not to say that it was easy getting there, but it did. It turned out really well. Um, In that, in this other case, same scenario. Um, We had kids. So we had a second marriage. Um, Husband had passed away. Mm-hmm. And we were getting ready to do. We were finishing up her planning. We we're getting ready to deed her house into the trust, and we find out that um, it's own tenants in common. So, same thing. Had to probate. In this case, um, deceased husband had two daughters from his prior relationship. We were able to approach those two daughters and say, "Hey, here's the situation. Your mom, your stepmom, is." but they actually called her mom in this scenario and they were close. Huh? Yeah, they were close. And they said, uh, and I said, you, you, you have an ownership interest in her home as a result of the way that the deed was set up. And when your dad passed away um, and their response was, and, but, but then I was able to say, but you can disclaim, if you want, you can sign a paper that I've, I've prepared and, in that case, we already had it sitting in their inboxes. It's like, open that up. It. See that paper? You can <laughs> sign that in front of the notary and send it back to me. And your mom owns the house free and clear. And you your beneficiary in the trust because she loves you. And so that that ended up working out really well. That being said,
1: So they signed so it. The two daughters both, signed those. They
2: both signed. In fact, and so here's the thing about that one is that. Um, I saw their mom, their stepmom, my, my client, I saw her within months of her husband passing and she was devastated at that point in time. And she still was full grieving process. Um, She cried at almost every meeting, um, but she wanted, she knew she needed to do this planning. So when she found out that there was, you know, part of her home was owned by her stepdaughters she was immediately terrified because her concern was, I think they'll do the right thing and disclaim, but I'm super scared that if they don't, I'm going to have hard feelings against them. (laughs) That's how sweet (laughs) this lady was. And I said, you know what? I really feel like they're both going to be on board with, with disclaiming, but but she, she had trips planned to see each of them. They both lived out of state. And she's like, well, I can't do this until after I've been to both of their houses. And I'm not going to talk about it with them. I just want to go and have my, my time with them and with the grandkids and, and come home and then we'll deal with it. So she made me wait a full year before she could work up the courage to let me make the phone calls and, and actually find out what the daughter said. And in that case, I was able to say, so, "I was able to come worry back." And, about it, that whole oh thing? man! I mean, she was a mess. She was. It was it was a constant worry. I mean, every time I talked to her, we would discuss it, and I would say, "How about I give him a call?" "Let me just give him a call." "Let me shoot him an email." "No, no, I'm not, not yet, ready yet." Not yet. "Worrying, worrying." About it. So for an so she'd already. It took her a year to get her planning done through the grieving. And then another year goes by dealing with this defective deed. So ultimately that one ended well in the sense that they, when I called them, they both had the same reaction. It was like, are you kidding me? She's been worrying about this for a year. Where is the paper? I will sign it right now and send it back to you. Like I want no part of this house. Like It's hers. It's not mine. I don't view it that way. I don't care if I'm a beneficiary of her trust. We love her and we want her to have her house and we want to have her peace of mind back. And that house was paid for just like the one that's at issue in this case that we're talking about today. So um, they, they both signed, they sent those back to me. We were able to, through the probate, still had to probate, but through the probate, we were able to file those disclaimers and have, um, you know, my client as a personal representative of her deceased husband deed the property, to her and then she was able to deed the entire interest in the home to her trust and everything squared away but took two years took two years of worrying and
1: yeah there's and there still were, costs cost there huh? yeah. there's, it wasn't financial yeah because for sure the stepdaughters did the right thing but it was just the emotional so, worry and stress
2: so I had to say well so so I, I told her that story I told daughter that story and she said well um what are the odds that if you call. she didn't say if I call." She said, "What are the, what are the odds, Nathan? If you call, and I'm sitting here going, "Oh my gosh, I get to be the one to make the phone call. Um, what are the odds that he is willing to disclaim?" And I said, "Well, you and your mom would know me know that better than me. I have no idea. Like all we can do is ask, like nothing about there's nothing we can do to make him disclaim. Mm-hmm. So she said, "Well. She's like, if you can get him to disclaim, we'll take you to dinner. (laughs) Done. I said, oh, yeah, no, I was like, I would gladly give up that dinner if I didn't have to make this phone call. (laughs) So I have to, on my to-do list is to call son, stepson, who lives out of state, who they know for a fact has been somebody that's struggled financially throughout his life and needs needs money. And I'm gonna have to let him know what he's entitled to under the probate and somehow ask him to ask him if he's interested in disclaiming for the benefit of his stepmom. And I can tell you for a fact that the relationship between this between my client in this case and this stepson is not like it was in the prior case um, they there was some friction um, they did not get along very well. Um, And there's been no contact Mm -hmm. since dad died. So this is going
1: to be seven
2: years, seven plus years that they haven't really heard from or had any contact with. And so I get to, I get to make a, I really am not excited, but I, I get to make a phone call and, and ask, Let it let this stepson know and ask him if he's got any inclination to disclaim,
1: yeah. And that's tough. And I've been on the other end, actually, Nathan. I had some kids bring me Medid and said, Hey, turns out we were part owners because blended family, same situation, right? And they're like, We're we really don't want to disclaim because we got nothing when our dad passed away. And we're not going to get anything when she passes away. She's going to deed it all to her kids. And so we feel like if we don't keep this, we're getting nothing from our dad. And so it's,
2: it's, yeah. And it's hard to blame them, right? I mean, it's tough because it's hard to blame them for I mean, wanting that.
1: You both, both of them have reasons why they, they feel like that it should go to them. And, And so at the end of the day, the question was, what did the deceased person want? Right. The person who passed away. And I mean, that's really what we want to have happen because obviously the kids are going to see from their side, what they would want to get. And the surviving spouse is going to have what they, they feel like they should get. And so the person who passed away, it really comes down to that. They did their planning, right. So that their wishes are being followed and
2: Yeah. And and so far in this case, we don't know what this deceased husband, dad wanted. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: So like I, there's some indication he might've done some planning, but um, so far, nobody's been able to locate it. They're still going through the house. So I guess there's possibility, but, but then there's potentially issues with that because of the length of time that's passed. But anyway, that's, that's probably for us to talk about a little bit on our next episode, but have you had any other, because I I feel like sometimes when we tell these stories that people say, well, what are the odds of that happening? Like that can't happen very often. So I know that we both had scenarios where deed issues have, have caused major, major problems and headaches. Um, Were you able to come up with a few that, that you've dealt with that you can maybe give us some examples so we can help people understand that this is actually way more common than, than they, they think it is.
1: Yeah. It happens more than it should. And um, I've caught, a, I've caught a lot of them before the person passed away and we fixed several of them. Well, that's so always nice. That That's fantastic when you can do that. But, and, and for anyone listening, if you're like, Oh, I don't have a blended family. I don't have a second marriage situation. I don't need to worry about this wrong, right? Like this story just happened to have a blended family. So we have the issue. We've had the same problems with families that we we had deed issues and it was just single marriage, all the same kids, but we still had deed issues. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes it was just, we had to do probate, but other times it still came with outcomes of assets going to people that that was not the intention or the goals behind the planning. So just to, just to kind of rattle off a few examples. Like we had one where the um, the notary stamp was too light on the deed. And so because of that, it, it was a defective deed and the property didn't vest. So Are you kidding me? No, it's just the notary needed a better stamp.
2: Was there a signature?
1: Yeah, they signed it. but
2: The notary it was, signed it?
1: You have to be able to, the, the notary stamp has to be legible for it to be a valid note. Oh my signature. gosh. And so title company at the close was like, well, that's not valid. We can't accept this. And um, so the family had to do probate. Same problem. They had to push back their closing. There's contract problems with that because they are under a contract saying they would close. So if the buyer's not reasonable, then they can Was there the any buyer. other
2: problem with the deed besides the there wasn't enough ink in the notary stamp?
1: Nope, not enough ink in the notary stamp. And you know what caused this one? They had a trust, they refinanced, so the title had them take it out. So if you listen to our last episode on refinancing, this will sound very similar. This will sound very familiar.
2: It's actually a couple episodes back, but yeah.
1: And they did a, and so they, then the title company did a deed to put it back in the trust and they didn't stamp it properly. Bummer. Oh my
2: word. Mm
1: And so another one I just reviewed a couple weeks ago. Um, This is when we caught before the person passed away. They had done their estate planning and they said, oh, the house is in the trust. We're good to go. I'm like, all right, but I asked to see it still. I mean they didn't put the right name of the trust on the deed it was a different trust I'm like i don't know whose trust that or, is but it's not yours and it sounds like it's not but and that was just missing two words right but it would have been the same problem those two words would have caused the family to have to clean up that extra money
2: maybe not 50 grand but
1: I mean, probably not 50 grand but it would have still been a problem for him so and then we've had like several other experiences where we've had the wrong descriptions, the wrong names, we've had multiple deeds recorded, so no one knew which deed actually controlled, and all these problems cause difficulties. And this is why the problem happens so much, Nathan, is people think, hey, if my deed was recorded, then it's got to be right, right? (laughs) the county recorder accepts it, then it's got to be correct.
2: Yeah, no, that is definitely not true. county recorder uh they've even recorded deeds for us in the past where ultimately they send it back to us and say hey there's a problem with it um but they recorded it
1: mm-hmm.
2: then there's you know my de- this deed they didn't they're not going to question well did you mean to indicate that these were husband and wife don't you want to have a joint tent it's not their job
1: no so they have a checklist and if the deed meets the requirements on their checklist, they'll record it.
2: The minimums, right? And, the like
1: Just kind of the minimum for them, right? But what really catches families is later on when you sell that property, um, and some states don't use title companies, but most of them do. Eventually the title company is going to review the chain of title and they're going to ensure that the title um, or another way to put that, they're going to make sure they're going to, they're going to ensure that the ownership is actually correct that the person transferring title has the right to t- transfer that ownership and so they look at the chain of title and if they see anything that causes questions or clouds that title or opens up a crack that someone else could maybe say hey well maybe uh, maybe i own part of that then they're going to be like er, breaks on this we can't issue an in- policy on this title until you fix this problem with the deed and if the person that they need to sign is the correction, dead then you're got a lot of problems right mm-hmm. where i see the biggest biggest problems is when we have multi-generation properties
2: property that's been passed down from mom to dad or mom and dad to kids and from kids to grandkids mm-hmm.
1: Where the deeds grandpa's. were
2: prepared by who knows who.
1: Mm-hmm. But I've even seen deeds prepared by title companies that later on, when the family goes to sell it, the a new title company is like, no, we're not okay with this title. We have an we have a we have an issue back here three deeds ago with grandma or grandpa's signature. The way they did this doesn't look good on our end.
2: Yeah. You know what, um, on this, on this prior case that I talked about, um, the reason that that deed was not set up as joint, it, this is the crazy thing about that one is that that couple before he died, they, they owned the house and there is a deed further back in the chain of title. There's a deed that said their names, husband and wife might've even said joint tenants then they refied the house, they refinanced the house. And when the title company for the lender deeded it back to them after recording their lien, um, deeded or changed it and, and left off the husband and wife joint tenant language. And that's what caused that particular scenario. So, if you if you assume that just because a lender and a title company were involved that everything's correct, think again.
1: Yeah, or if you assume the county recorded it, I'm good. No, yep. it's no. not always the case. So, I think in our next episode, we'll probably talk about what, how your phone call went and we'll kind of close out that, but we'll talk about what you should really be doing to make sure your deeds mm-hmm. properly accounted for and some good ideas. If you have any questions on, is this really going to work? Is this really valid? But, um, is there any, I mean, is there anything else you think that people need to know about deeds and kind of how that process can really put a, put a, put a kink in your planning?
2: Well, I guess the biggest thing that, that I'd say is that, I mean, the time it took me to explain the problem to the daughter because people don't like, we're kind of geeks, right? We, mm-hmm. we geek out on this stuff, but unless you're in real estate or you're entitled or you practice a type of law that um, deals with, you know, ownership of land, real estate, that kind of thing. I mean, most people, thankfully don't have to understand you know, how this works, right. they they just assume that, that the professionals that they're working with are, are helping them take care of those things. So I guess what I'd say is that maybe this is what we'll get into in the next episode, but is that you got to make sure that somebody is reviewing the deed that has your interest in mind and only your interest. Mm-hmm they're not getting paid to close a refinance or getting a commission for a refinance. And that's their only interest. Um, You need to have somebody that that's thinking about what are the, like we said in our, our episode on refinance, um, what are the long-term implications of the way this deed is set up and is it set up properly? And are we sure? And, and who's telling us that? Is is the person telling us that somebody that has our interests in and really only our interests in mind? Because that's the only way to be sure is to have somebody that knows what they're doing, knows what they're looking for, knows how to spot problems, and they're looking out for your interests. So I guess yeah, that'd be I, the
1: and I'd add to that. So the in the so the very first step is never do a deed on your own. Like <laughs> just don't do it. If anyone deeded something to you and they didn't have it professionally prepared.
2: Well, and I guess I would say one other thing. That's a good point because I'd say everybody listening should go to their county recorder's office and get a copy of the deed to real estate that they own and look at it and maybe have somebody review it and say, hey, I've heard that problems can arise. I just want to make sure that this deed was done properly and then find somebody that's qualified uh, an estate planning attorney uh, a good title company that you trust where you're actually paying them to, to give you advice on the title um, have them run a title report that kind of thing so
1: yeah so I think that's good I think that's a really good first step is don't don't do it yourself and and then in our next episode. I think, I think we'll talk about a few things to do, especially if you have multi-generational property or if you do have a question on whether or not it's done right or you do think it was done wrong and and kind of go through that. And we'll find out what happened with your phone call, Nathan.
2: Yeah, I'm hope super it goes excited. Well. I,
1: hope, I hope they say, you know what, like Ugh. my dad wanted that to go to his wife and that's what we want.
2: That would be amazing.
1: That'd be awesome. Okay, well, everyone, thanks so much for joining us. We'll a part two
2: part two on this one next time thanks
0: see ya you've been listening to legacy lawyers with michael haslam and nathan croxford we give you the juicy detail of cases that our law firm has dealt with. We take out the lawyer talk and legalese and show you what options some of our clients had to choose from to fix their situation. The effects of not doing planning can be devastating. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook and Instagram at Voyant Legal. Call us at 801-951-0500 or send us an email at team at legal.com And for commonly asked questions, hit voyantlegal.com slash resources. We'll see you next time.